passion, drive, and patience. What brings home the winning trophy is also what keeps your ride or die alive. eBay Motors is everything you need to maintain your vehicle and level it up to peak performance. From superchargers, roof racks, exhaust kits, LED lights, and more, whether you're into speed, power, or style, eBay Motors has you covered. With over 122 million parts for your number one ride or die, you'll always find exactly what you're looking for. And with eBay Guaranteed Fit, your part is guaranteed to fit your ride every time or your money back. Because with eBay Motors, you're burning rubber, not cash. With all the parts you need at the prices you want, it's easy to turn your car into the MVP and bring home that win. Keep your ride or die alive at ebaymotors.com. Eligible items only. Exclusions apply. Hello, everyone. It is John Pollock, and welcome. It is a very late Saturday night, probably Sunday morning for most of you that are listening to this. It is currently 2.55 a.m. Eastern Time, and I've just finished watching a lot of hours of fighting between the UFC 220 card from Boston and then the Bellator card from Inglewood, California. I have watched all of the fights And I'm going to take you through them because maybe you didn't have a chance to sit down from 7 p.m. Eastern until 2.30 in the morning watching fights like I spent my Saturday. But that is why you are here. So thank you for downloading the show. Thank you for checking it out. This was an interesting night for both promotions going head-to-head like this. And my strategy for this was to simply watch the UFC card live and then immediately watch the Bellator card afterwards. So uh, that was kind of my uh, plan for tonight. And I think I made the right choice because the Bellator card, I will say this, it was three and a half hours in real time. And I watched it in probably 90 minutes after watching the UFC pay-per-view live. So let's start with the Bellator show. Uh, and go through that one first. Uh, not going to go through all of the prelims. Did not watch, well, not just prelims, but in Bellator, you also have the postlims because there were about eight fights that were going to follow the Bellator card uh, for those that were in attendance at the Fabulous Forum. So going here into uh, their return here to the Forum, it opened up with Henry Corrales taking on Georgie Karakanyan. And, of course, this was Big John McCarthy's debut as the color analyst for Bellator, replacing Jimmy Smith, who was actually making his UFC debut on Saturday night. So it was kind of weird hearing Jimmy Smith in a UFC setting after all of these years so associated with the Bellator brand and his voice being a part of these broadcasts. And here we had him working for the UFC on Saturday night. And we had Mike Goldberg working with Big John McCarthy, who I thought the two of them, I thought they were they were fine together. I thought Big John did actually a, a pretty good job throughout the night. I think that there were certain parts where he was uh, a little uh, tentative at times, I think somewhat still getting the feel of being in this new position. Hasn't done it since he was doing uh, work with Affliction, which was all the way back in 2008, 2009, and also did some work with uh, the Fight Network doing uh, TKO broadcasts as well. So it's been a long time since he's done color work, but uh, just listening to him tonight, I feel he is going to be a tremendous analyst uh, within six months of doing regular Bellator shows. So I thought he was a positive on the broadcast. Uh, just getting into this uh, opening fight here uh, in featherweight action with uh, Karakanyan against Henry Corrales. This was Henry Corrales getting the unanimous decision win. Scores were 30-27, 29-28, and 29-28. So for Corrales, uh, he moved to the MMA lab in Arizona, and since that time, he's won three consecutive fights in Bellator over Cody Bollinger, Noad Lahat, and now over Georgie Karahanian. I thought Corrales won the first two rounds. The first round was it was a close round, um, as was the third. The second was a concise uh, round for Corrales, but overall in this fight, he was the one landing the better strikes, and uh, Karakanyan, he just... He was working a lot with his right hand, but just not landing it with a lot of frequency and then pinned Corrales up against the fence in the third round, throwing a lot of knees at the leg. I thought the Karakanyan squeezed out the third round, uh, but 
a 29-28 scorecard for Henry Corrales is what I saw this fight ending with. So for Henry Corrales, I mean, it positions him pretty well in the 145-pound weight class, winning those three consecutive fights, and we'll see where that moves him to. Uh, one of the standouts of all of the fights on Saturday night and one of the biggest names uh to focus upon in 2018, Aaron Pico, who came into Bellator last year, had that infamous debut, losing to Zach Freeman in all 24 seconds, and then rebounded uh, later in the year where he defeated Justin Lin. So this was kind of an interesting fight for him, taking on an experienced fighter in Shane Crutchton, who is a 12-3 and fighter uh, at featherweight, and in this fight, we saw a very composed Aaron Pico, who landed two left hooks to the body, the second of which Crutchton went down and was, this body shot was devastating. He went down and it was done. The fight was called at 37 seconds and Aaron Pico, I mean, I remember at the time of the loss to Zach Freeman, how there was the immediate, because he was just Everyone was talking about this guy as the next coming, the next big star. And when he lost that fight, suddenly it was everyone was retracting their statement. And I remember thinking at the time that if if you are selling your stock on Aaron Pico, who at the time was 20, he's now 21, uh, you're going to regret that because Aaron Pico, to me, was someone that, yeah, it was a it was a bad debut. And I think in a in a way, it kind of took the hype down several notches that it needed to because it was ridiculous what uh, he was being compared to. He was on that debut broadcast back in June. I mean, he was being compared to LeBron James, and he hasn't even had one professional round of MMA yet. Uh, it was just insane how far ahead everyone was with their expectation level. So I think in a weird way, that loss helped him. And the way he came back in September fighting in San Jose and rebounded from a devastating loss like that against Justin Lin, I think that showed you a lot about his maturity, his composure, and his ability to just come back and got that first win. And in this fight, I mean, this was a guy that just looked uh, tremendous. And again, relative competition level here, but this was a guy who's had... 15 professional fights in Shane Crutchton. So Aaron Pico was certainly one of the stars of the night, a devastating knockout via uh, body shot, a pair of them uh, landing those left hooks. And the second one was just devastating. Crutchton just went down and it was over. Michael Chandler versus Goichi Yamauchi. This was a very interesting fight on paper. Uh, Scott Coker had noted on the MMA Hour that the winner of this fight will be fighting for the lightweight title, which is currently held by Brent Primus, who won that title in a bizarre fashion back in June, uh, defeating then-champion Michael Chandler, whose uh, foot just gave out on him, couldn't stand. And Brent Primus ended up winning the fight under uh, a very bizarre set of circumstances. So Michael Chandler finds himself in this fight against a very tough opponent in Goichi Yamauchi, someone who's never been stopped in his career and has won his last three, most recently defeating Adam Piccolotti uh, within the Bellator lightweight division. And Michael Chandler, he had a pretty succinct game plan. He was able to get his takedowns when necessary and then put enormous pressure on Yamauchi on top. Working inside of his guard, um, he would just punish Yamauchi on top. And that was the case for three rounds. The the only moment of doubt in this fight came at the beginning of the second round when Yamauchi threw this question mark kick and he rocked Chandler. Uh, Chandler was on wobbly legs, but he recovered, hit a double leg takedown, and not only did he recover, he ended up coming back and winning that round in the second. And then in the third um, after an accidental eye poke, uh, Chandler took him down by the fence and just brutalized him with elbows, hammer fists, and I thought the third was a 10-8 round. So I scored this fight 30-26 for Michael Chandler, and the judges um, 
had a pair of 3026 and one judge going so far as to give a 3025 round. Uh, so Michael Chandler convincingly uh, defeating Goichi Yamauchi, who is no tough out at 155 pounds. After the fight, he was asked about fighting Brent Primus, who he pretended to have never even heard of and didn't seem all that interested. You have never seen a guy less excited about earning a title fight uh, based on a victory than Michael Chandler on Saturday night. He basically said that he's a good employee. He'll do what is asked of him. And if fighting for the title against Brent Primus is what he is asked to do, he will do it. But he really has no interest in fighting Brent Primus. And that's just uh, so counter to um, every other fighter and their thoughts towards fighting for a championship. Uh, but dominant win for Michael Chandler, who improves to 17-4. and four. And it's funny, this brings up uh, one of my biggest pet peeves at the moment is the... You know, every time we have a UFC broadcast, John Anik will alert people at the top of the broadcast whether or not the state they are in has adopted the new set of ABC rules, which are not so new anymore because they came into effect uh, in January of last year. So we are now a year into this ridiculous system where some states have adopted the rules and others heaven. So on this night, we had California that does acknowledge the new rules contrast to Massachusetts where the UFC card was taking place does not recognize the new rules. So you had head to head MMA competition with different rules. And while this was a 10, eight round uh, in the third, uh, one judge had two 10, eight rounds here. This would have been a 30, 27 had this fight happened uh, on another channel on Saturday night. It just is a a light that you can shine upon the utter stupidity that we are currently living through in mixed martial arts with the non-uniform rules. Roy McDonald versus Douglas Lima was after this for the welterweight championship. On paper, uh, most had this pegged as the, at least from a quality standpoint, uh, what was going to be the most... Um, the most competitive fight of the night. And I don't know if this ended up being the fight of the night between the UFC and Bellator. It probably was the most brutal because Rory McDonald came out of this as the Bellator welterweight champion, but someone who uh, was just wrecked by the end of this fight. A lot of interest coming into this one and a lot of discussion too about whether this should have gone on last or not. And we can address that now because that was a big hot button issue this week was the shuffling of the card and Chael Sonnen and Quinton Jackson being put into the main event role. And a lot of people were upset about this decision that they felt that the title fight should be going on last. I can see both sides of it. And I think if I was in charge of this, I would have put Douglas Lima and Roy McDonald on last. The thinking, which I'm going to assume, was, first of all, you have to look at this different than what the UFC was doing on Saturday night, for instance. It's very different when you're talking about a television broadcast versus a pay-per-view broadcast. I watched both tonight. I bought the UFC pay-per-view. So I'm going to watch that card. I'm not tuning out halfway through a pay-per-view that I've spent $65 on which was the new price tag for a UFC pay-per-view. So once you, it's, it's not contingent on how many people are watching a certain fight on a pay-per-view broadcast. It's how many buys you have gotten. So I could pay my money. They really don't care if I stick around. I've paid my money. Now on a free television show, the whole point of a broadcast is to build your audience and have the most eyeballs possible. And you have to look at it who are the biggest stars on this show? And they are Chael Sonnen and Quinton Jackson. So who is most likely to retain that audience from 9 p.m. and have them still watching at midnight? And they decided to put the biggest stars on last to keep the audience for the longest time possible. The counter to my own theory that I'm laying out is the fact that 
two years from now, Chael Sonnen and Quinton Jackson will probably not be your stars in Bellator. At least I hope they aren't. I hope that Douglas Lima and Roy McDonald are two huge stars for Bellator. Roy McDonald has a a level of popularity. He is well-known within mixed martial arts, but he's not a superstar outside of mixed martial arts. Douglas Lima isn't a superstar within mixed martial arts. He is a criminally underrated fighter. So I would have used a big platform such as this launch on the Paramount Network to put these guys in a position where the audience may not take to these two as being superstars, but I'm telling the audience they are superstars because they are in the top position. And maybe I'm going to lose viewers from the Sun and Jackson fight before my main event. And the peak is going to be in the second to top fight with Jackson and Sonnen. But I am at least presenting that our homegrown guy in Douglas Lima and a guy that we have a lot invested in, in Roy McDonald, for years to come, they are the stars of this show. And that you are educating your audience that these are stars because we want you to perceive them as stars tonight being in our main event. So that is my thinking on the big uh, discussion. I do understand, though, why they put Jackson and Sonnen in the main event slot. And I will bet when the ratings come out that the most watched fight will end up being Jackson and Sonnen. Getting into this fight um, with Lima and McDonald, uh, McDonald had a strategy of being able to take down Lima and then work on top. And we saw McDonald uh, try to catch uh, Douglas Lima's leg. This happened in the second round, landing some strikes while Lima started as well. And it was very much Rory McDonald's fight for the first three rounds, I would say. It wasn't in until the it was actually into the third round where Lima got to, got things going after dropping the first two rounds. And this is when Lima kicked out Rory's leg and he, his leg just buckles and he goes down and Lima gets on top and drops a bunch of elbows on top of Rory McDonald. So Lima got the third round into the fourth. The fourth was a very close round and it featured a close up of Rory's uh shin which had this enormous hematoma on it. Rory later said that it looked like a person was growing out of his leg. And that wasn't the worst description in the world, which gives you just a sense of how awful this looked. And uh, McDonald ended up, uh, they were stood up by referee Jason Herzog. McDonald got a late takedown in the round and ended up being very aggressive on top. This was a close round. You could give it to Lima. I gave it to Rory McDonald, and then in the fifth, it was a Rory round where he just took Lima down, cut him open with elbows, and controlled him for the whole round. So I had it 49-46 for Rory McDonald. The judges had it 48-47, 49-45, and 49-46. However you scored it, you have to score for Rory McDonald, who wins the title by unanimous decision. He stated afterwards that this was the toughest opponent he has ever fought, which is quite the, which is quite the uh, accolade, considering the level of guys Roy McDonald has fought, in particular Carlos Condit, Robbie Lawler, Stephen Thompson. I mean, he has fought some very tough guys. So to put Douglas Lima at the top of that list in terms of the toughest that he has fought. Um, is quite the quite the honor there for Douglas Lima. Uh, Rory was a mess after this fight. His leg, he couldn't even stand on. Uh, his face was all beat up. Uh, Rory McDonald definitely was through an, yet another war in this particular fight. And that's certainly going to be something focused upon with Rory McDonald. He's 28 years old, but he has had some battles um, in his career. Main event. Chael Sonnen and Quinton Jackson. This was uh, Chael Sonnen against a 253-pound Quinton Jackson. The former UFC light heavyweight champion, Quinton Jackson, weighed in at 253 pounds for this fight. And it was um, an unimpressive Quinton Jackson in this fight. Slow, 
just very plodding, um, just not a very dynamic version of Quinton Jackson, who, yes, he is 39 years old, uh, but Chael Sonnen was just having his way, standing with him, landing strikes, and Quinton just seemed to load up and was waiting for that big power shot, but it never came. And I don't know. For me, Quinton Jackson, I don't see this guy ever fighting at light heavyweight again. But to me, 253 pounds, that's just too much for this guy um, to be weighing, to be effective. I just don't think he's effective at this large of a weight. He looked enormous in this fight. Uh, the first round saw Sonnen throwing a lot of hands. Uh, this was Jackson's best round. He countered with a left hand and even lifted up Sonnen and dumped them down onto the canvas. Uh, but Sonnen just kept busy with his hands. Wasn't any knockout blows, but it was just cumulative uh, damage. And then right at the end, Sonnen went for a rear naked choke and then into a guillotine before the uh, the buzzer went to end the round. So I gave Sun in the first round. If you're going to give Jackson a round, it would have been the first. The second just saw Sonnen use an inside trip for a takedown, drops punches inside, worked on in, inside the guard, later moved to half, and uh, another Sonnen round. And then in the third, Jackson knew that he was behind on the scorecards, and he was just... He he put a line down in the canvas to challenge him, turned his back to Sonnen. He just wanted to have a big shootout, and Sonnen just took him down and won the round. Um, it was a fine performance by Chael Sonnen. He did what he needed to win. Uh, this was by no means a very exciting fight, uh, but if you compare it to Chael's last fight with Vanderlei Silva, uh, this was Don Fry Takayama in comparison. Um significantly better than that awful fight with Vanderlei Silva. So Chael Sonnen wins. Um, all three judges had it 29-28. So maybe I was one of the few that scored it 30-27 for Sonnen. But no no harm uh, in however you scored this, as long as Chael Sonnen uh, was the person you thought won the fight, because he clearly did. So he advances, and he will face the winner of Frank Mir and Fedor Emelianenko, and they had all of the members of the heavyweight Grand Prix come out at the start of the show in these varsity jackets, and they each uh, faced off with their opponent and uh, interviewed them throughout the show, except for Fedor. I don't believe they ever interviewed Fedor on this show, unless I missed it. Uh, and some upcoming shows they've got. They'll be back next Friday uh, with Larkin and Gonzalez fighting. Uh, and then February 16th is the next heavyweight Grand Prix match as Matt Mitrione takes on Roy Nelson. Uh, March 2nd, uh, they've got a fight with uh, Darian Caldwell and Leandro Higo. And then they announced their next Saturday night card will be April 28th at the Allstate Arena in Chicago with Fedor taking on Frank Mir. So that's uh, the next round of uh, a big cards for the company and no announcement yet on Ryan Bader against uh, King Mo. So that's the only remaining heavyweight Grand Prix opening round fight uh, that still has to be booked for a show. So maybe that'll happen in May. You probably don't want to get too late in the year where you're trying to wrap up the first round matches because uh, it's going to be a stretch to try and get this tournament wrapped up uh, 12 months from now. That's going to be the the test here. So that was the Bellator show. Um, not the best Bellator show in the world. I think Aaron Pico was kind of the star of the show. Uh, you did set up your uh, welterweight, uh, your next uh, lightweight title fight, potentially. This was interesting as well. So Chandler wins the fight. This was in California where you weigh in. And then the following day, when you get to the arena on fight day, they weigh, they weigh you. And if you've gained more than the allowable limit, California will recommend that you fight at a higher weight class the next time. And apparently that's what happened to Michael Chandler. He gained too much weight. So if he fights in California again, they may force him to fight at welterweight. And now Chandler could just fight in another state and fight Brent Primus somewhere else, but California is a regular stop for Bellator. Bellator does not just run every state in the U.S. They are, they have their collection of places they run, and California is a big one. So that's kind of interesting to see how much 
uh, enforcing goes on here if Chandler has to go up and fight at 170. So the big story is Rory McDonald winning the title. Um, Chael Sonnen advances in the tournament and Aaron Pico's knockout. So those are the big, the big takeaways from the Bellator show on Saturday night. So from there, uh, we will now go on over to the UFC card, which was taking place from the TD Garden in Boston, Massachusetts. A lot of interest in the top two fights, uh, with the heavyweight and light heavyweight championships being defended. And then there was the rest of the card, which, uh, like, admittedly, I don't think most were looking at this undercard as much. Um, and it was an undercard. It was uh, – there were some highs and lows along the way. So uh, we will start off um, from the bottom and just uh, work our, our way up through the card. It kicked off with Islam Makachev taking on Glayson Tebow, the returning Glayson Tebow, who has fought – uh, 26 times in the UFC. That was up until November of 2015 when he was uh, a he won a fight, which was later overturned, and he was suspended for two years for a USADA violation. So he was coming back uh, two years later on Saturday night, and Glayson Tebow, who is 34 years old, going on 50. Um, this man has had a lot of fights, and this was not one of the more positive ones because uh, this was a battle of two southpaws, and Makachev cracked him with this left hand, drops Tebow, and it's over. 57 seconds. Uh, Islam Makachev wins this by knockout, uh, and he improves to 15-1. and one. So started things off with quite the blast here with Glayson Tebow just being put to sleep in 57 seconds. Uh, this was all on fight pass. Second fight pass uh, fight was Matt Bissett, who was from Dana White's Tuesday night uh, contender series, taking on Enrique Barzola, who won the second season of Tough Latin America. First round saw Barzola landing the harder strikes, uh, but Bissett was pretty consistent here, uh, using his right hand as he would enter and using a lot of head kicks as well. Um, I thought Bissett won the first round, and then things turned around in the second and third with Barzola clearly coming back and pulling away. And Barzola was able to lift and slam Bissett, uh, did this with some regularity in the second round. Into the third, he's using a lot of leg kicks and ends up going five for nine on his takedowns. That was a big difference maker in this fight. So uh, after dropping the first round, I thought Barzola won the second and third, and the scores were 30-27 and a pair of 29-28s for Enrique Barzola, who improves to 13-3 and 1 within the UFC's featherweight division. Uh, we moved on over to the televised prelims on FS1 and TSN2 in Canada, and we had a pair of members coming off of Dana White's Tuesday Night Contender Series, Dan Ige, who also doubles as a as a fighter manager. He works with uh, Ali Abdelaziz and got the call here to take on Julio Arce, who's a 13-2 and fighter, also from uh, the Northeast scene. He uh, has fought quite a lot for Ring of Combat and won his last five fights. Uh, in the first round, uh, this was a really, this was a fun fight overall. Um, Ige was going for takedown after takedown, and Arce uh, was just backing him up against the fence. And once Arce got his striking going, he was just landing with all different types of, of uh, you know, straight left, jab, right hook, hammer fists, and stunned him with a left before the end of the round. Into the second, I mean, Ige had a path to victory, and it was through his grappling. And after eight minutes in this fight, he was 0 for 6 on his takedowns. Uh, Arce was just the better striker here, and in the second, just some beautiful fakes that Arce had that set up his strikes um, and just up the volume as well. Into the third, uh, Arce's up two rounds, and then uh, Arce landed a left uppercut in the third round. Um, Ige ended up being something like 0 for 10 on his takedown. So Arce, not only was his takedown defense really great, but his striking was on point. He was the quicker fighter. 
and something the announcers made a, a big deal about uh, with Joe Rogan and Dominic Cruz was the footwork of Arce uh, in this fight. He won it on pa- a pair of 30-27s and a 29-28 score. I thought he won all three rounds here. Uh, Julio Arce, really, um, really fun fighter to watch uh, here and get who got the victory. Then we went to the flyweight division as Alexandre Pantoja, who was part of uh, the Ultimate Fighter season 24. He was actually the number one ranked guy on that flyweight season, uh, took on Dustin Ortiz. And in this fight, um, Ortiz was able to get a body lock takedown, but then Pantoja reversed and he got Ortiz's back, got both hooks in and just had all the control in this whole round. Uh, Ortiz was able to survive and then just escaped right at the end. So Pantoja uh, definitely got out to a strong start. Then things turned around in the second as Ortiz was able to get Pantoja's back while they were against the cage, used a lot of knees, and they got up, each landed some strikes. Um, So I had it even going into the third. And then in this third round, Pantoja was able to get his back again and controlled him for the first half of the round. But then Ortiz was able to shake him off his back, got him against the fence. And then it was really, this fight came down to the final minute because Ortiz just landed these knees and all these strikes in the final 60 seconds that it was enough to win this round. And thus the fight, uh, because I had it even going into the third. So I had Dustin Ortiz winning and apparently the judges all agreed. They all had it 29, 28 for Dustin Ortiz. So this was one of those, uh, Johnny Hendricks, Robbie Lawler won scenarios where it really did come down to the final minute of the fight. And Dustin Ortiz improves to 18 and 7. Abdul Razak Al Hassan took on Saba Hamasi. Now, if you're thinking about this combination that you just saw this fight, that's because you did. These two just fought in December at UFC 218, it was. And it was an early stoppage in the fight by Herb Dean as Al Hassan had hit Hamasi, who was recovering and getting up. And the referee, Herb Dean, stepped in and stopped it. And both men were upset about it. And they booked the rematch right away because they saw it as an early stoppage. So they ran it back. And this was a much more definitive end to all of this. Um, Hamasi early on nailed him with his right hand off the fence. They had some big exchanges and Al Hassan landed with a pair of right hands. And then he landed one of the cleanest right uppercuts you're going to see that just put Hamasi to sleep. He just went out on his back and the knockout happened at 347 of the first round and your contenders for knockout of the night were this and Aaron Pico on Bellator. And I mean, for the most devastating, it might have been this one because this uppercut was not Francis Ngannou level, but man, he really just like Saba Homasi looked like he had just been, he was laid out stiff on this canvas from this right uppercut. So you can go back and watch the Aaron Pico one. Um, You probably just winced in pain yourself from the body blow. Uh, But this one, this probably was the knockout of the night in all honesty. And then the final televised prelim fight was Kyle Bokniak, who was a, um, a New England native uh, taking on Brandon Davis, who was another fighter coming off of Dana White's Tuesday Night Contender Series. And that was certainly a theme on this show, as you see kind of what the feeder system is for the UFC at the moment. It's Dana White's Tuesday Night Contender Series. Uh, this fight, I I thought Bokniak controlled and won all three rounds. The closest ended up being the third round. And uh, Bokniak was just able to get a lot of takedowns throughout this fight and willing to eat strikes to enter and um, had some good striking himself uh, throughout this. And Davis, by the third round, I think he realized it was kind of similar to the Quinton Jackson fight where he realized he was down on the cards and just tried to to mock Bokniak and just get him to stop fighting his fight and, and just kind of uh, just get into a slugfest, which Bokniak didn't. And 
I had Bogdanek winning all three rounds. Scores were 30-27, 29-28, and 29-28 for Kyle Bokniak, who improves to 8-2. and two. On to the pay-per-view we go. Thomas Almeida took on Rob Font in bantamweight action. First round went to Thomas Almeida. Uh, this was a really good round. Um, both men just, um, just very... Very tight striking uh, from both. Very technical from each one. Almeida was just upping his output as the round progressed and using a lot of different angles uh, to use head kicks to set up punches as well. Just some complex stuff he was working on. Second round, Font nails Almeida with this right hand to the temple. And Almeida goes down and he is rocked. And he's trying to just regain his senses here. He gets up. Font nails him with his right elbow, and then Font just continues here, landing a right head kick to the face and follows with two uppercuts and finishes him with hammer fists. Easily the biggest win of Rob Font's career. 224 of the second round. Rob Font wins by TKO. This is only the third loss of Thomas Almeida's career, and Rob Font, a huge victory for him in the UFC bantamweight division. He had also just gone over training in Thailand, and I think you could definitely see the effects of that uh, training in Thailand just because his striking, he's always been a very good striker, but he was just um, laser accurate in the second round when he was able to rock Almeida and how quickly he followed up with just precise striking afterwards. Uh, Very, very good performance from Rob Font. John Vellante took on Fransamar Bahos in light heavyweight action. Whenever you see Fransamar Bahos' name on a fight, you always worry because this is not the most exciting guy in the world to watch fight. He's had his moments, but they've been few. Uh, this fight, it was a much more reserved John Vellante. This wasn't him just trying to play rock'em sock'em for three rounds. Um, he was willing to take strikes, but it was a lot of him just kind of walking down Bahos, uh, putting him up against the fence. He was always controlling the center and just outstriking Bahos for three rounds. And the crowd didn't get into this. I mean, there was striking happening, but it was very much one-way traffic. And then Bahos in the third was able to land this clean body kick and a counter left hand. And that was kind of his highlight of the whole fight. Uh, Volante just kept backing him up. And uh, the third was the most competitive round, but still a Volante round for me. Then we got to the scorecards, and this was insane. So I've got this 30-27 for Volante. Most have this 30-27 for Volante. And they read the judges' scorecards, and you hear Bruce Buffer state that the first judge scores this 30-27 Volante. And when you hear that, that specific designation that the first scorecard was for Volante, that means we got a split decision. That's right. There was a judge that scored this fight 29-28 for Bohos. And this was the most egregious scorecard of the night uh, of the very new 2018 year. This was inexcusable that you could score this fight for Frantomar Bohos. I can't find one round you could uh, have given this guy, much less two. This was a awful, awful scorecard. And somehow John Volante is going to have to look back at this fight. And he'll always have to wonder why he only won this fight by a split decision and not a clean cut, unanimous decision with every round going to John Volante. But nonetheless, the guy won the fight at least. Kelvin Qatar took on, or Calvin Cater, I should uh, pronounce this properly, against Hurricane Shane Burgos. This ended up being the fight of the night on the UFC card, and I'd have to say probably the fight of the night between both cards. I thought this was a great fight. Cater uh, was having tons of success in the early part of the fight with his jab and just repeatedly blasting Burgos. And he seemed to just be able to, it was like a magnet at the end of this guy's gloves that was finding Burgos's face, just a high volume jab from Cater. And he mixed it with shots to the body, commanding first round for Cater. But then Burgos came back in the second and he was 
busier at the start of the round, and he just started letting his hands go. And he ended up uh, cutting Cater on the bridge of the nose. So we had an even fight going into the third, and then Cater rocked him with this right hand, followed up with two right uppercuts that dropped him, and then he just swarmed him with strikes. Burgos is trying to get away, and the fight is stopped, and Kelvin Cater wins uh, 32 seconds of the third round, gave a great speech for the crowd in Boston afterwards, and he improves to 18-2. and two. Uh, this after his UFC debut win over Andre Feely. So two notable names. Not a, not a bad way to start your UFC tenure with wins over Andre Feely and Shane Burgos. Uh, Daniel Cormier, Volkan Uzdemir for the light heavyweight championship followed that. And this was uh, just an unbelievable performance by Daniel Cormier. Uzdemir started this fight just a house of fire. He was going for the knockout blow right away. And he landed with a left hand uh, twice in the opening couple of minutes. And Cormier was patient. He absorbed them. They weren't like flush. And then he threw a big right. And once he started connecting on Ozdemir, he slowed down noticeably. And then Cormier took over this fight. Uh, Volkan came back and he ended up getting cut by his right eye. Cormier finally gets a single leg takedown right near the end of the round, smothers him, and he goes for a rear naked choke right at the buzzer. And this fight would have been over because he had this choke in deep. But then we go to the second round. Uh, Ozdemir is tired. Cormier gets the trip takedown and Cormier moves to side control gets a crucifix, and then starts dropping these right hands uh, with strikes and just blasting him. And the fight gets stopped at the two-minute mark. Just a dominant, dominant performance by Daniel Cormier. Uh, He had stated earlier that there are levels to these things, and you're not at my level. Well, after the fight, he applauded Volkan Ozdemir, stated that uh, he's going to be a great fighter, and he was a game opponent. He really put over uh, Volkan Ozdemir after the fight. But this was this was one of those great performances that Daniel Cormier will look back on in his career. Uh, someone that certainly the questions were there. This guy's 39 years old. Um, he's about to turn 40. Uh, sorry, he's 38 years old. He's about to turn 39 in March. Um, so he's getting older. But he looked great in this fight. Uh, Afterwards, um, the name that was coming up was Alexander Gustafson, which is a rematch for Daniel Cormier. They fought in October of 2015. So perhaps that is the next fight. But I would say, looking at the lay of the land in the light heavyweight division, that there's probably not too many Daniel Cormier fights left. There's probably, I mean, I, I look at it that, you know, there isn't a laundry list of opponents left for him. He'll probably never get the opportunity to fight John Jones again. So uh, he's kind of in kind of the the tail end of his career now. So I'm sure the fights he's going to want are going to be big ones uh, to close out his career. And at light heavyweight, with no John Jones, there aren't a ton of big fights. And Gustafson is probably the most realistic one at the moment. Because everyone else, there's there's not a lot of options there. I mean, Misha Serkinov, Jimmy Manoa, they've lost some key fights. So, so they've kind of taken themselves out of the picture. And other than that, I mean, um, I, I don't see anyone really emerging over this next year that's, that's going to be ready for that championship opportunity. I mean, Glover Teixeira... Um, He's someone that Daniel Cormier has never fought. So those are kind of your two names, Gustafson, Glover Teixeira, I would say. But great performance from Daniel Cormier and a great speech afterwards, too, with Joe Rogan. And then we went to the main event. Uh, This was the fight everyone was anticipating. Uh, One of the biggest fights, one of the biggest heavyweight fights, I'll say, in UFC history. Stipe Miocic defending the title, going for his third heavyweight title defense, which would be a new record, against Francis Ngannou. And this first round was incredible. This was a great round where you are just at the edge of your seat. 
because Nganu is just going for that one shot to put Miocic to sleep and to watch Miocic in this round. I mean, this is a guy that just was not given enough credit going into this fight. And one of the biggest concerns I think a lot of people had was the fact that Stipe Miocic, despite his great track record and winning fights, this guy gets hit a lot. And if he got hit a lot in this opening round, it was not going to see a second round. Well, Miocic was able to evade a lot. His head movement was tremendous. He was faster. And he just worked throughout this round to tire and Ganu. And by the end of this round, it was Miocic that was the one landing on Nganu. He got a takedown. And as he got him into side control, Joe Rogan, I think, realized very early on this was not going to be a good night for Francis Ngannou because when Ngannou was inside control, Rogan just said he looks lost. And Miocic ended the round with another flurry and a takedown off the fence, and Ngannou was very tired after this first round. The first round was definitely his best round, and he lost it to Miocic. And Miocic, for the next 20 minutes, systematically broke down this heavyweight star in waiting in Francis Ngannou. Uh, In the second, we saw more of Miocic landing with his right and a power double to take Ngannou down by the fence. And then he employed in, then he introduced a strategy of just putting his weight on top of Ngannou while they were leaned, he was leaned over on top of Ngannou against the cage and just not letting Ngannou get any rest at all. It was just constant forcing this guy to work. This continued on into the third round. In the third, this was when we got into 10-8 territory for me. Uh, Nganu did land a clean right. It was his best shot of the fight, and Miocic just ate it, took him down, got him in the half guard, and dropped all of these shots. Uh, this was a huge round for Miocic, despite the right that landed uh, for Nganu. And I would argue the third was a 10-8 round. Um, Some people didn't go that far. Most thought the fourth was a 10-8 round because this was all Miocic. And this is even with Massachusetts, which doesn't have the new ABC rules. Still a 10-8 round. Um, And Ghanu was just so tired. He did nothing this round. And then in the fifth, it was more clinching against the fence by Miocic. And Ghanu just tried a desperate flying knee to no success and... Miocic, Miocic ended the fight clinching him and putting his arms in the air during the final seconds because he had won an enormous fight that he was the underdog going into. Uh, he won by unanimous decision on 50-44 scorecards from all three judges. I had it 50-43 because I thought the third and the fourth were 10-8 rounds. I mean, given the older system that Massachusetts uh, empl- uh, employs, I guess you could say the te- the third, you know, you could argue 10-8, 10-9. I went 10-8, so I had it 50-43. Huge win for Stipe Miocic. Afterwards, Dana White goes to place the belt around Stipe, and he takes it away from Dana to give to his coach to put around his waist. And also announced that he's going to be having a child with his wife. And Stipe, I mean, it almost, like, this is always a very cool, calm, and collected individual, he definitely felt like he had a chip on his shoulder after this fight, that so many people had kind of underestimated him, and he had just gone out and just destroyed this guy. I mean, this was a one-sided beating by Stipe Miocic, and when you talk about the greatest heavyweights of all time, I'm not saying you have to say it's Stipe Miocic, but you kind of have to make the argument why isn't it Stipe Miocic? Because he has now put together uh, a record in the UFC for heavyweight title defenses, and he has beaten the likes of Alistair Overeem, Fabricio Verdum, Junior Dos Santos. I mean, the only heavyweight left is Cain Velasquez, and it's very hard to give... Cain Velasquez, an immediate heavyweight title fight when he has not fought since UFC 200 when he fought Travis Brown. Um, 
there's not a whole lot of other candidates out there. Fabricio Verdum, you could do a rematch, but I mean, it was it was only last year that fight happened where Stipe won the title. Um, that's an option, but other than that, I mean, I I, I really think Cain Velasquez is the fight that people want to see now from Stipe Miocic. And um, I think that the fact that Dominic Cruz and Joe Rogan, by midway through this fight, knowing where this was going, they started selling you all on the what Cain Velasquez would do in this situation and the wrestling backgrounds of Cain and Stipe colliding. Um, Francis Ngannou, we got to see him. Um, I don't want to say exposed because... I hate that term for someone that has been in the sport for less than five years. And Francis Ngannou, I think, is going to be a great heavyweight one day. But we saw some major holes in his game. He got tired. He was not very effective off of his back. And he's going to have to deal with wrestlers in his career. And it's funny because, you know, I'm not saying that uh, – this fight has much of a hope of being made, but an interesting fight after this is Francis Ngannou fighting someone like a Brock Lesnar, who before tonight, I would have said that's an awful fight to make. However, if the UFC, which Dana White has stated, he believes Brock will come back this year, and that is going to take a lot of things to occur. I think now you want to see a wrestler take on Francis Ngannou. I mean, we've seen the hole in his game. How is he going to address that? And Brock Lesnar is not going to be a such a level to the degree that Stipe presented for Ngannou, but a challenge nonetheless, and would be a massive fight for Francis Ngannou, uh, who I still feel can be a superstar for this company and a major fight with someone that can command that kind of spotlight, there's reasons to make that fight. However, logistically, that's a fight that would take many hurdles to jump over to before you'd be able to make that fight. But that entered my head at the end of this. Stipe Miocic wins in convincing fashion, and we'll see what is next uh, for the heavyweight champion. But that wrapped up the UFC 220 card. And fight of the night, as I mentioned, went to Calvin Cater and Shane Burgos. And then the performance of the night bonuses went to Daniel Cormier and Abdul Razak Al-Hassan. So that is going to wrap things up for me. Uh, I hope you enjoyed this show. Uh, we're going to plan to do these after each UFC pay-per-view. That's going to be the plan for post shows moving forward is for uh, post shows on pay-per-view nights. So the next one will be Saturday, February the 10th, which is the UFC 221 card from Perth, Australia with Luke Rockhold and Yoel Romero fighting for the interim middleweight title. So that's coming up in just a couple of weeks. And myself and Wei Ting, we are going to be back on Monday night with Rewind to Raw following the 25th anniversary of Raw. So you can check that out. Of course, you can go to postwrestling.com for all of your wrestling and MMA news. Uh, lots of stuff going on. And we have a massive week coming up with uh, next weekend, Royal Rumble, TakeOver, and New Beginning all happening next weekend. So we're going to have a lot of coverage throughout the week and tons next weekend as well. So you can go to postwrestling.com, patreon.com slash postwrestling, and you can give me a follow at I am John Pollock. That is it for me. Good night.